are back for another episode of Truncated Thoughts presented by Pre-Scouter. We're focusing on big ideas in life science. I'm Jeremy Schmier, and today we are joined by my three esteemed colleagues, Dr. Ryan LaRanger, Dr. Joao Guerrero, Dr. Michael Boats, and today we are talking about augmented reality, or AR, and its application in surgical environments. Augmented reality essentially gives users computer-generated images overlaying a real environment. This episode may start to feel a little sci-fi-esque, but try to use your imagination. Ryan, why don't we start with you, given that you've been long time a robotics enthusiast and really into this sort of thing. Give us your take. Uh, look, it's it's not really sci-fi-esque. Like, a lot of this is happening presently, right? Uh, so first of all, underlying principles, some of the stuff underlying all of this is that there's a massive doctor shortage. It's getting worse, right? And having a shortage of doctors doesn't just mean I mean, uh, I don't have enough people to run the surgeries themselves. Doctors train doctors, right? And so one of the other big challenges that a doctor shortage causes, and this is a worldwide issue, is that uh, finding the doctors to run the training for the other doctors and the surgeons to run training for other surgeons is also challenging. And so AR is being um, explored as a potential solution, not just to, you know, uh, telemedicine, improving surgical outcomes, but it's also seen as very important for facilitating faster and more effective training. So we can talk about it largely in terms of uh, sort of those two major buckets, right? The actual performance of surgery and uh, facilitating excellent training. Got, Does that make sense it. as a starting point? Yeah, it's a good starting point. You haven't blown my mind yet. Um, maybe the other guys will, <laughs> Michael. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I, th I think it's, uh, it's, it's a good opening statement here, Ryan. Um, I, I think one, maybe one data point that's relevant is that this market is, is slated to grow very rapidly to about 76 billion in 2030. Um, it's not that big um, yet, but it's something that's really increasing in, in terms of um, revenue generated. I think um, a few points that, that Ryan already mentioned that are interesting to, to mention here is that these tools are being used, especially in times like these, also to communicate surgical procedures, to not only visualize or provide images, but also provide, for instance, training with haptic feedback on how to manage certain instruments. So there's all kinds of augmented reality, virtual reality crossover, so to say, for training purposes. Um, and there's, there's also quite a lot of interest in co-hosting surgery. So having other surgeons join um, from a different country, for instance, who are specialized within surgical procedures. Well, Michael, uh, before we go back to Joao, can you or Ryan speak to you know, the accuracy? And we talk about the, the haptic sensors, you know, how accurate is that to what it is actually like? You know, what kind of feedback is that and how does it relate to actually doing the surgery? So, yeah, maybe, maybe I, I, can, I can jump in here. <laughs> Regarding the, I know, haptic feedback, I would say, I know, it's something that's in development right now, but I wouldn't say there's, you have some very good cases where it's, it's being in use, right? It's, it's kind of, I would say, the next level. Of, uh, of your augmented reality is when you start getting that haptic feedback from devices. Um, but I, know I, I feel that 
you know, people, when they think about augmented reality, they kind of picture this very sci-fi thing where, you know, you're seeing, I know, inside the body, everything that's happening, you know, being layered over. There's different levels and, and they all have a lot of different benefits, right? There's, if you think about it, when you go for an operation, um, there's a lot of, I know, information that the surgeon needs. You have like the real-time information, just understanding how's the patient right now. So you can just have like the, the, I know the information on heart rate and on respiration rate, on our saturation, oxygen, all that can just be now layered on, on the surgeon for them to see instant feedback on what he's doing. And that's already a level of augmented reality that can bring benefits, right? Then you have the next level, which is, hey, the surgeon needs to have access to all the imagery that was probably done before. That right now, you know, maybe there's someone that brings him the, the X-ray for him to look at again or, or the tech or, or whatever it is. He can have that as well, you know, straight on his view. If he's using some sort of, you know, a device, it's been goggles, whatever. I know he can click a button and, and see it. Okay, he sees it, he goes back to, to the patient, right? And then we finally get into the, the more advanced one or the one that people usually picture when they think about augmented reality, which is, okay, you're looking at the patient and you're seeing stuff that's not there, you know, and on your visual field that's being added from other uh, imagery that was done before, right? So you can see, hey, where's... And where's, where's the heart, you know, inside of this specific patient before you actually start to cut it? Where are the arteries? Where's the problem that you're trying to achieve uh, without you needed to do open surgery and kind of look for everything uh, inside? Ryan, I think you're, you're muted. Classic Zoom stuff. I, hop, I, hop in. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. Um, so what I was just going to add in there, it's uh, sometimes when we think about these kinds of innovations, we get so focused on the far away super advanced, right? The haptic feedback, fully immersive, long distance surgery, where you know the surgeon feels like they're doing things there. Uh, that we can sometimes lose sight of those incremental but still very important advances along the way. And what Joao brought, brought up about you know a let's call it less invasive or uh, a less bulky system that just provides the surgeon a hub uh, or a HUD basically like a, a user a user system where they can see you know the various charts that they need to look at the scans um, without needing to turn their head and look at a monitor that by itself is a really significant advance in terms of increasing the chance of a given surgery going well and decreasing the strain on a surgeon and their team. Now, the challenges with this are a fewfold. Uh, first of all, from a design philosophy perspective, I don't think we have that solved in terms of what's the most efficient and best way to display a lot of information to a surgeon in a way that is informative but not distracting. Right. We, we see this a lot with um, clinical decision support, too, where um, people are still trying to make a system which is both helpful and usable by doctors. And so that alone is an important space. We could also spend time talking about latency, um, smart applications of these tools. But let me just take a breath and see what our wonderful colleagues think. 
Yeah, I, I think that's that's a great way to at least bring me back down to earth, Ryan, as I look ahead and I think about yeah. Star Trek and all these space movies. And it sounds like it's a little more practical than that. And I know, Michael, we had talked before we started a little bit about some of the feasibility. Uh, what's your commentary on that? Yeah, I think Ryan already mentioned this briefly, but there's there's some studies that show actually that in, in cases where AR is used, that there's not always automatically a benefit for the surgeon. And so in this case, um, there was a study that um, compared naked eye uh, surgeries with uh, AR-based surgeries. And especially for very detail-oriented or difficult anatomies, um, the study actually showed that the naked eye uh, surgeries had a better outcome and there were better uh, performances from the surgeons in terms of accuracy and those kinds of things. And so this, this is to the point what Ryan brought up is that it's not always going to be a benefit. Um, to flip it, one thing that I, where I think it can be a benefit is if you look into um, the increasing amount of minimally invasive surgeries that are being performed. So trying to go in with as minimal tools as possible, no open surgeries. That's really where I see there's a big opportunity here for using some of those images that are taken before the surgery where you can take a step back and say, how does this look like from the inside? Because I, I can't see it with my own eyes. Let's use some of these visuals to support what I'm doing because I'm flying in blind. So that's really a opportunity where I think these technologies can add a lot of benefit. And so the same goes for any kinds of, I would say, minimally invasive surgeries usually mentioned with robotics, any kind of automated processes, making sure that there's some kind of control over the process, making sure that you understand the anatomy as a surgeon and can um, track or monitor vitals, much like Joao was saying. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I, would, I would definitely second uh, that. I, I feel that I know the guidance is a big part, and uh, it, it's definitely something that I know there's there's a shift towards, or at least there's there's the want of trying to go for more minimally invasive surgeries, right? The, the less you you scatter around, the less you, you damage the patient, the better, right? But the biggest problem with minimally invasive surgeries, you, you just don't know what's happening right now, and a lot of I know there's technology right now that's being done where I know you have a device, you're looking at a screen and you're trying to understand, okay, what's happening, right? You know, we've all seen maybe on movie surgeons, whatever they've, you know, getting a catheter inside, looking to the right, and then just kind of moving their wrist if it's kind of, uh, you know, by magic to, to get things where, where they need to be. You know, those are the kind of examples where augmented reality can, can really shine as well, where I know they can... I know pretty much have x-ray vision like Superman, you know, they, they look at it and what was before on the screen next to them now can be in front of their eyes and really make the procedure a lot more successful because a lot of these procedures, they require I know, really a lot of years of training, you know, and maybe we're kind of tying it back to what Ryan was saying, hey, we need more doctors, we need their train faster. And this is something that can really shorten that because you no longer need to kind of learn from trial and error, which has dire consequences. You can see what's happening, uh, you know, with your eyes, with the help of a device. Yeah. One additional point, I think these are all great points. One additional point that, that just came up in, in my mind that I've given it some thought as well is um, the liability for AR technologies. And especially in procedures where there's a lot at stake, where there may be some dangers of, of mistakes or errors, where challenging anatomies, um, accidents happen. 
And in this case, the question is really, and I don't really have an answer for that, uh, who is then liable, right, if something goes wrong? Suppose mm. there's some kind of surgical tool that helps you visualize something with AR and that AR does not represent at that point the biology of a certain patient. Um, what happens? So I think that's really one of the major implementation challenges, especially in some uh, hospital systems across the world where this may be more of an issue than, than in others. And even in addition to who's liable, I'm not sure we're going to be able to tackle that on today's episode, but also, you know, the, the quality concerns, what quality concerns do you guys have in terms of, you know, these errors or, you know, these differences occurring to what's normally been done? So this actually brings me to one of my favorite questions that comes in uh, when we talk about technology uh, and advances more broadly, which is what does better mean, right? Like, how, how do we define better? Because at the beginning of this conversation, we addressed a couple of problems, right? Um, one of them being the shortage, another one being, you know, the downstream effects of that shortage, right? Uh, that it's harder to do these surgeries, that you're having uh, less training time effectively, less training resources. So when we talk about the ability of, you know, AR, VR to impact surgeries, a thing that we need to keep in mind is that better can be defined in a number of ways. So we can certainly talk about outcomes and how good they are. That's a metric. But other metrics that we'll need to keep an eye on moving forward to see is someone really making a difference in this space are, thing, are factors like how much time does it take to train a surgeon if they've started using these methods, right? Like, does it make an impact on surgery time? Does it make a difference on throughput? Can a surgeon perform more of these procedures, maintaining maybe a comparable level of, um, let's call it outcomes? So this isn't to say any one of these metrics is necessarily the right one or what's going to move the needle, but rather instead to introduce the idea of when we're evaluating a trend like this, we need to keep a close eye on not just is something better, but how are we perceiving that idea of better? <laughs> Sorry, this is just, it's a point that I like talking about a lot. Yeah, and, and you know, another thing there maybe, Ryan, is, is even the success rates of these surgeries themselves and you know, how much damage they create. Because we look at healthcare as something that's very expensive. The surgery itself is usually not the most expensive part. It's, it's the recovery, you know, both from the hospital point of view, all the resources that get spent, as well as from the productivity from that person that's now maybe spending you know, a couple of months where they can't perform you know, productivity work. Right, so if you if you take all that into account, and if you know AR is able to kind of reduce complications that come from surgeries, that's another huge advantage, right? An advantage that you can get from, I know, level one AR from the get go all the way up to when you know level three. And going back to my initial description of the three types of AR, all of them can bring improvements on that. So, Joao, coming back to you, you know, knowing that this has a practical place in the healthcare and surgery ecosystem, do you think this is the future of surgery? Yeah, I think it's the future of surgery. I think there's some hurdles it needs it to go over. We've, we've mentioned a couple. I feel that 
I know for the overlays, accuracy is still an issue. It needs to be very, I know, a lot better. It needs to be sub-millimeter. It needs to be able to, I know, move with the body because even though we you know we're we're asleep during surgery, our, our bodies are moving. So things need to be very precise. And it needs to be very fast and, and less bulky. Like you, you can't have wires, you can't have big helmets, you know, it, it needs to be something. I know that's very easy to use and, and that's how you're going to get adoption. Um, there are some fields where we're already seeing it being used and I do expect it to be the, the future of surgery. Yeah, I think so as well. I agree with this sentiment. Uh, I think there's enough to to figure out, but that's something that's common to the whole medical and, and pharma field. So I'm sure uh, it will it will find its way. I think there's already a lot of practical applications that slowly find their way within these workflows. I also think it's a matter of cultural change over time, right? Um, especially in the medical profession, some of these changes, they may take some additional time or even generations of surgeons to, uh, to, to find its implementation. So as newer, uh, younger people are getting trained with these tools at some of the larger universities across the world, they become accustomed and they'll also integrate into their practice. Yeah, uh, change in healthcare is slow. Um, and so when you're looking at these kinds of metrics, it's if you take someone who's used to doing things one way, and if you're used to people who are doing things, have people who are doing things one way, and you say, hey, you know, use these augmented reality glasses, it'll improve the surgery. It might not improve it for them, but for new trainees, it might get them up to speed more quickly. And ultimately, when we're talking about impact, we need to consider sort of the entire surgical environment. What's happening with the support staff? What's happening with the ability to even write up the results? I mean, we didn't talk about that too much today, but you know, event reporting all by itself is a huge deal and practically an industry by itself. So it's this is just something we need to keep an eye on overall, not just getting sort of narrowly focused on a particular performance metric. And I think it will have a big impact. Excellent. Well, guys, thanks for a very broad perspective on a lot of different angles of this evolving technology. It's evolving place in, in surgery. So that's where we're going to wrap for today. We hope our listeners enjoyed the conversation. If you're not subscribing already, you can find us on Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher. So thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next time.